When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 237 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. I am joined, as always, by Frances Tomas, former Barca columnist featured on ESPN, The Guardian, and Frances. We were positive for a few weeks there, but I'm afraid the negativity might be back today. So before that, I do want to start on a positive note that those that follow us on social media may have already seen. But in the last week, we hit 1 million audio downloads. We'd love to get to 2 million a bit faster, and we really never ask this stuff until the very end of the show when everybody tunes out. So I would please ask everyone listening right now, while you're listening, just drop us a rating and a quick review if you're listening so someone and somewhere you can review it. And then share it with one person you know or more, even with your dog if she's learned how to download and subscribe to podcasts. Most importantly, though, Thank you to everyone who has been with us and watched this thing because of the podcasting machine and become the podcasting machine that it is today. So thank you so much for 1 million audio downloads. That's not counting YouTube or anywhere else that people might have been getting other versions of the show. That's just on audio. So thanks so much for that. Hola, Gules. Um, yeah, fantastic achievement to get to 1 million downloads. Um, 1 million seems like a lot because it really is. Thank you for being there from the very beginning. And if you went there at the beginning, thank you for joining us. Um, the years have progressed. Excellent to have you. Yeah, so we do start with a positive note. As I said, 1 million, that's a cool thing. That's a good number. And I'm just stalling at this point because I don't want to do what you and I have to talk <laughs> about today. And that is talk about the loss in the Supercopa. 
And it is the hard part, obviously, of the show, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Pretty much all show, but then at the very end, we're going to hit the elections that are postponed to March 7th. So, yeah, another happy topic here. So we're going to try to put the Supercopa loss into context. I'm going to start with a quick one for you, Frances. Should Messi have played at all? Yes. Yes, he should have played. I think that the fact that, obviously, it was a Supercopa, there are many people saying that it's not important. I have always said that the Supercopa is not important. And he still isn't. Um, but having said that, in the context of this season, and I think that since La Supercopa has moved away from the summer into sort of this middle-of-the-year business, um, it seems to have raised the profile of the competition, which is good. I think that the fact that uh, Madrid, Atletico Bilbao, and Real Sociedad and Barca went for it is good. Um, it's, it's more prestigiosa. It's more, much, a much more prestigious um, enterprise now, competition now. And uh, I think that once, you know, you played 120 minutes and have to warn over the penalties to get to the final, then you want to be in the final and you want to win it. Um, so from that perspective, yes, uh, I think Messi is obviously our best player. And uh, if he was available to play, then he should have played. Um, obviously, didn't have a happy ending in any way, shape or form. Uh, Messi did something quite unusual and I think just, just silly. At the end, at the end of the obviously overtime and getting sent off, etc. But um, no, I think that you should have played your best players to win a competition that matters most this year than any other, even though it's still a Supercopa. Yeah, I mean, I do push back a little bit about the trophy. I, I think it's what we've talked about before that you do prioritize competitions instead of others. So you'd ask a, a Barca fan, what would you like to win in order? And if you go through the six trophies, in theory, that if you were to win, everything would be available, as we remember back to the, the six-tuple, that you'd say Champions League, then you'd say the Liga, then you'd say Copa del Rey, and you work your way down. And the Super Copa, though, uh, from an athletic club perspective, that is a trophy that certainly mattered to them. And it's this weird thing as a Kool-Aid, you watch the other team celebrating, and you know that the other team's fans are celebrating more than yours. Because yes, this trophy would have mattered to Barca. Barca hasn't won a trophy in over 630 days. It's, it's time for Kool-Aid's, uh, especially more recent fans of the club who are used to winning trophies every three months, every four months, that they're used to seeing those, those victories in finals. And so for Barca to go through this dry spell, certainly it's felt overdue that Barca were ready for winning a, of a trophy. But for Athletic Club, this is just their third trophy now since 1984. So those are fans that are starved for any trophy of any kind. And this is one that matters to them. So it is a weird thing as Kool-Aid, as we say, you know, we're disappointed that Barca didn't win that, that trophy. But in the same, in the same regard that we, we look and say, well, we're really, we'd much prefer the Liga trophy, which is something that Athletic Club fans can't really think about, right? That we're still alive in the Champions League knockouts, something that Athletic Club, you know, barely gets to because they're fighting for Europa League spots year in and year out. So it's just a matter of context of where we are here. And mm -hmm. the reason I asked you that messy point, you didn't bring up the, the red card. His first, if it felt unusual, it's because it was. It was his first red card for Barcelona in 753 Barca matches. So if you've never felt that Messi's ever had to seen red or that he's never retaliated, the truth is he never has retaliated. But when you watch it on replay, it was, it was a red card. And it's going to see a little bit of a ban that'll come out tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. So for Messi, yeah, it's going to be the, a crime that fits the punishment. And it's this weird thing where we said that Messi, even last week, that he looks like he's enjoying his football again, his partnership with Pedri, things are working out. He's happy if Laporta or Font, uh, whoever becomes the president, that maybe he'll stay and da 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 And now because of one match, now all of a sudden it's, He's going in January. He's going to force his way out in the next week to PSG or Man City. And that's reactionary to me. I don't think this 
one result, this one final. Yes, it's a it's a, another chapter in the Roma Anfield and what Barca's been doing recently in, in, in big matches. Sure, it is a, another chapter in that very sad story. But I don't think this disrupts the narrative of whether or not Messi was going to stay past this season. I think he, if he was gone before this, he's still gone. If he might have stayed with the president before this, I think he still might stay, regardless of what happens here. But it certainly is just another moment that Kulaj can say Barca no longer have a winning mentality. And that's the big picture that I think people are harking on. But Frances, do you think this is we've learned anything new from this? Or do you think this is just a retread of the same thing we've been through for now two and a half years? Um, I slightly disagree. I think that the Liverpool-Roma debacles, um, I think they are not a closed chapter, but that's in the past now. I think that the team that lost the Supercopa final, again, it's a Supercopa final. It's not comparative to Champions League or basically anything that you just mentioned. It's not the same group of players. Um, I don't think that this Super Cup was lost because of lack of mentality, lack of preparation. It was more to do with... Um, sporadical mistakes from, I'm not just going to point out the youngsters, but I think that the generation, that the team that we had is so different from the one that we had in, in Liverpool, for example, or even in Roma, for example, that I don't think is comparative. Obviously, if you want to get really, really picky, both mistakes in both goals, you can argue they come from Jordi Alba. Yeah, we're gonna get that. We're gonna get to Alba. He's him and Griezmann are the two players we're gonna talk about later. So anybody else, Frances, take your pick. Exactly. So I would say that. Obviously, Jordi Alba was contributing at the other end as well. So, um, but, you know, this is a game that Araujo plays the whole game. Um, Pedri, then obviously Ricky Butch comes on. You've got a lot of youth coming on. Obviously, you've got um, Frankie de Jong taking a much more of a protagonist role than he ever did before. So I think that it's not comparative. I think that, you know, you can be as catastrophista, catastrophistic in English, possibly, um, as you want to be. But I don't think that's necessarily what you need to be doing here. I mean, this is a, a team in growth. This is a team that is developing. This is a team that, you know, Araujo at some given point wasn't amazing, right? But this is someone who could be playing for Barca for the next five, ten years um, if you trust him and he continues to grow. Serginho Des picked up an injury halfway through, but he would have been someone who would have possibly finished the game as well. And the list goes on and on and on. Obviously, Ansu Fati is injured, but otherwise he would have been playing as well. So I wouldn't compare it. And I don't think that at all changes the narrative of Messi staying or not staying. I mean, <laughs> if Messi had to decide his whole career or the most important movement in his whole career based on a game against Atletico de Bilbao in an empty stadium in Sevilla um, <laughs> for a Supercopa de España, yeah. then apaga y vámonos, just turn it off and, and you know reset the whole system. It's not going to be... The decision, if it has to be made, it's already been made. Um, yeah. But I don't think that's the case just yet. He's waiting for the next president. And this doesn't change anything. Yeah, and I think that red card could have simply been as much as you go through this competition, you play 120 minutes. I mean, that's when the red card occurred. It was 120 plus three, I think it was, or whatever it was. And so yeah. it was an entire match, especially that extra time. And Via Libre, it's no question that he was the guy that winds up getting knocked down by Messi because he was the one who was trying to win his Oscar, if you will, in that extra time after he scored the equalizer. So you always knew that if it was anybody who deserved that, that, that uh, I guess it was a kind of a swim move, puts a, a little bit of push down by Messi. So it was going to be Via Libre. And then he's the one at the end with the trumpet. And if, if going back to the 80s, I saw a lot of that video of the Diego Maradona and the Copa del Rey final and, and the brawl, of course, it's, it's ugly moments. So if you need a reminder of what athletic club, not the, uh, this is not a disparage the football that they play, but athletic club have a way 
of they have an identity <laughs> and that's the yep. nicest way i could say this they have an identity and they do what they do when it comes to winning a final and they'll do anything they could to win that final and they did that so that is gamesmanship it's not sportsmanship but it's gamesmanship and that's what you'll see now on the other point of athletic club i do want to push back on just you know giving the emotional response to what this supercopa means from the bars perspective because i was annoyed actually watching obviously you might guess where i was watching here in the in the u.s but i was annoyed by the commentary i was watching because they did not talk about athletic club in any way of what they did right because Marcelino now, who saw Barca in his first game in charge of Athletic Club now just just two weeks ago, and what he did right was get his tactics in the midfield spot on. And it's it's not necessarily an indictment of Coleman, more it is a compliment to Marcelino. Because the commentary I watched, they never once mentioned Unai Vincedor, who was one of the two central midfielders with Danny Garcia. Never did you hear that name. But what those two were doing were so important to breaking down Barca and disrupting what Barca were attempting to do. Now, usually Athletic Club, here again, this is for the ta- the tactics nerds here who listen to our show, usually it was just a 4-4-2 defending, so nothing too complicated. And Barca also weren't helping themselves by having all that loose passing. Things weren't crisp. It was sloppy. There were disruptions. There were giveaways, whether it was not necessarily Messi in turn, but it was Alba or Lengle or Araujo passing from the back on those sloppy giveaways. And then and then Dembele, rather, going forward as well. He was giving the ball away in that first half. So that was probably the biggest part of it. Nothing too complicated. That said, that 4-4-2 that Athletic Club were defending in, they were pushing that line of confrontation so much higher than they did two weeks ago. They were taking that match to Barca and forcing Barca to beat them in this final and putting the pressure on the Blagrana as opposed to two weeks ago when they settled back and they still lost that match one, that big athletic club, 3-2. So there were some things that they learned. The other thing they did was it looked like Vencedor and Danny Garcia were man-marking one of Busquets, De Young, or Pedri at different times. And I'm thinking that that was instructions coming from Marcelino on the sideline. And that was working very fluid throughout the game. I would notice that you'd have Garcia basically shadowing De Young for about a minute and a half, two minutes there in the first half. And then it would just be a static 4-4-2 in their lines again. And then all of a sudden you'd see Vencedor moving around with Pedri. And De Young was more free and mobile to, to work around the midfield. And it was very disruptive to what Barca were trying to do. And then the other times, and again, I think this is calls from the sideline, when Barca went wide to the wings, because if they're going to shut down the middle, you go through the wings. And the other midfielder then, being Garcia or Vencedor, whoever it was, would bust it to the sideline to try to cause numerical mismatches and, and press that pass coming to the middle. That seemed to be the initiation on that athletic club press. And it wasn't all the time. It was, they were picking their, their moments, they were picking their opportunities. And if you could hear it in the empty stadium, when Marcelino would say "vamos" or "ahora," like he would, he would be, he would be calling out, "This is that moment. Do what you were instructed to do." And on the other side, this is where I will disparage Coleman's tactics a bit. Where, especially on that Inaki Williams goal, when uh, in extra time, when everyone was getting tired, it seemed to be that pressing for Barca became very selective. Where De Young winds up pressing, coming forward, and that space that he leaves in behind because he expected. I think it was Mingueza in that moment to press with him because no one pressed with him. And then Mingueza was kind of caught between two minds, whether he should stay out with Munian on the wing, who had occupied that space that De Jong had left, or to shade over with to, to Nyaki Williams because then Griezmann noticed that, tries to drop deep as fast as he could, and Araujo also lets Williams go free. And Araujo had, as we said, a, a, a pretty good match. He winds up falling asleep at the worst moment in the match and it was a, it was a good goal too again once again credit to athletic club because Inaki Williams scores a Galasso and that's how you lose an extra time of a final so if yep. Barca winds up holding on to that 2-1 lead we're talking about an entirely different match here and Francis I'm gonna let you respond but let's hit a break 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First. So, Frances, as I said, I was very, if you watch the match review that I did over on YouTube, I was not happy with Langley at all. I thought he was terrible. If you were to choose between Araujo and Langley at this moment, Araujo was my starter when PK comes back, if he comes back this season. And I don't know. I mean, Langley, as we've talked about in the past, you look, you take a hard look at whether or not or what he's worth on the market. Because if you need money, you have to consider Langley. It might be one of those players to be sold if, if you so choose because he's been rough it just he doesn't have it whatever it is and he just doesn't really fit that Barca style anyway offensively then defensively if he's making these mis- if he's making these mistakes then he's not really a, a net positive of the player but yeah Araujo makes a mistake and Atletico wins so I do want to just make sure I give credit to what Athletic Club did but I, I think you probably have some kind of response on how Barca could have certainly have done better they currently they certainly could have put this match away when they were up 2-1. Well I want to give a little bit of perspective um as great as Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol, and all of that generation were, I don't think we ever really uh, beat Atletico de Bilbao, Atletico Bilbao too easily. Um, Bilbao have always been a, a difficult opponent. And uh, when we've beaten them like 3-0, 4-0, etc., that only has been because Barca, with all of their superstars and Pep Guardiola in charge, had everything going their way. And that's how we succeeded. So in other words, over the last 20, 30 years, Athletic de Bilbao has always been one of the hardest opponents we've ever faced. Um, now, in this occasion, I think that overall, Athletic de Bilbao seemed to want it more than us. Um, I think that the players were much more hungry. You could see the way they were celebrating when they won it. It means more to them than it does to us. Um, but having said all that, with a minute to go, the cup was ours. You know, So I think that we need to ask questions as to what happens to Barca in those last two, three minutes that they cannot hold a game and they just sort of put it over the line and then right after you know the the overtime starts um two minutes in we're already one goal down so really the super cup was lost in five minutes and it's once again as you said at the beginning it's uh it's reminiscent of the liverpool and roma fiascos in that respect but i think that that is what Barca need to grow up and learn basically uh, and i think that as i said before because we've got so many young players now they will learn from this occasion. I think that Jordi Alba and even Messi, to be honest, they may not be with us in, I want to say, one season, two seasons time. Busquets won't be there. But I think that the fact that these youngsters have experienced that and they know how it feels should help them move forward. And then as for the centre-backs, I think it is incredibly clear that we need a centre-back that is reliable, that is, uh, I'm not going to necessarily say experienced, 
but knows and, and can lead. I think Araujo is a great, great leader in potential, but at the moment he's just not ready. I think that this season, um, it looks like the Laporta, Fon, uh, obviously Tusquets and Freysha have met and decided that Eric Garcia will not come this, 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 this transfer window in the winter and we wait over the summer. That, that's absolutely fine because, to be honest, I don't think Eric Garcia is ready to lead the backline just yet either. Um, so we're just waiting for Piquet to come back in that position. And then if he doesn't, then again, as I've been saying every single week, it's not a season in which I expect um, a treble in any way, shape or form. So I'm, I'm happy to, you know, take that take that forward. And if it's going to save the, the club much needed money, then then wait for Garcia over the summer. And if he ends up not coming because he goes somewhere else, then then so be it. You know, I don't think it would be the, the biggest loss um, in the history of football. Obviously, if he's going to come on a free, then he's someone that you want to get back. But that's where we are in terms of centre-backs, in my opinion. It's interesting when we talk about Eric Garcia now, because there was one or two matches for Man City where they were leaking in goals. And unfortunately, that's what seemed to set the narrative for Kool-Aid as well, where I think Eric Garcia is going to now at this point pleasantly surprised. I think we're, we're so weary to be excited about what Eric Garcia might bring that everyone is just expecting so low of him. And I'm excited to see that I, I think he's going to surpass expectations, which is a good sign. But as you said, Eric Garcia it, to arrive in the summer and hopefully uh, improve that, that center back core as well. And as far as January goes, as we've been saying for a while, and now it's super confirmed is what we're going to talk about the elections at the end of the show, that there will be no new players on the horizon, uh, on, on the horizon, whether you say Memphis Depay or, or when you all them, whoever that Coleman wanted, uh, it's just, it's not going to be in the cards and you have no new president to approve it. But if you're going to bring in anybody, maybe you should look at signing another team psychologist. And the one, again, another indictment of Coleman that you look at that I remember reading in the summer that he was kind of against that, that he just wanted, he thought the players were just mentally tough and that's what's going to happen. But you know, I don't, I don't mean to go all pseudoscience on everybody here, uh, but I mean, I don't think psychology is pseudoscience either. There's real academic research to back all, all of these claims that getting players and footballers right between the ears, is, it does have benefits on what happens on, on the field. And what they said in the 60s about how you just got to be tough. I mean, modern footballers aren't really built like that anymore, right? They drive fancy cars and they just they don't go to the pub afterwards. They don't have they don't also play with broken toes and they don't play with, with broken ankles like they did in the 60s and the 70s and all the way up into the 80s in, in the UK. So uh, time is different even from when Coleman was playing. But my other thing with Coleman too is that if you're not going to bring in a, a psychologist and somebody to make sure the players who are on the field to finish matches are right between the ears, well, then, then your subs have to be right. And his subs have not made a difference at all. I mean, you, you felt that in that match where you saw that Pjanic was going to come on, uh, Junior Firpo had been warming up for a while, and then you had Brothwaite come on with, with Pjanic. And then, yes, Puj came on to add something different and exciting. And hopefully he's getting out of the doghouse because Barca do play different with him on. Whether, as I said, he's not starting over Pedri. So if he's a bench option and getting minutes at least, that, that's helpful because Trincao is getting those minutes and Trincao continues to not do anything and as we've talked about we're not going to rehash it I don't want to give up on Trincao as a player just yet but this is kind of a lost season for him this is the season where he's going to get hopefully get acclimated and you hope that it's different next year and if not then then he moves on but I don't want to get rid of all the progress as well Francis that, that Barca have made because one of the things that again if Barca had won we're talking about Antoine Griezmann, who scored a brace. He winds up being the man of the match. He winds up being a hero. He winds up winning his first trophy for Barcelona, along with Coleman. And Griezmann now four goals and three assists in his last four games for Barcelona. Four goals and three assists. And he's hit a form after a run of eight games without a goal. So he wasn't scoring. It was t it, we were still frustrated with Griezmann, the same Griezmann we saw last year. But for once... And in this moment, he is scoring goals and he's providing assists. And it looks like he's fitting next to Messi. It looks like he's fitting next to Pedri. And it looks like with that 4-3-3, 
that Komen has found some kind of formation to get the best out of the most players. So uh, as much as we disparage that Barca lost in another final, this is a different Barca than the one we were talking about even two months ago. There is progress being made, and you have to acknowledge that, that progress is being made and they're moving forward. And that is a good thing, Antoine Griezmann being one of the first names on our lips when we talk about that progress. Yep, and also the fact that when he's scoring, he's not just scoring a little tap-in, you know, he's actually getting shots that are not always that easy to have uh, and quite quite confident, you know. I think that he's growing. Um, he's not the player, and I think we need to probably forget about the player that he was at Atletico, and to be honest, the player that he seems to be um, hiding until he goes and plays for France internationally. He's not that player because the environment is different. I think that the the race and, and rise of um, Pedri alongside Messi is even sort of pushed Griezmann aside even more. But, you know, from Griezmann, really, if you can get, I don't know, two goals out of every four matches, that's enough. You know, I think that that's, that's what we need because the vast majority of goals from Barca come from Messi and they will start, they will continue to come from Messi until the moment that he's no longer with us. You know, he's decide to retire or go to, who knows, PSG or wherever he goes next uh, but I think that while Messi is there, it is Messi's team and uh, everyone else needs to try and adapt. David Villa had to do it. Zlatan Ibrahimovic had to do it. Henri had to do it. And now Griezmann is doing it. Obviously, I think that the, the best version of Griezmann is really, really far from the version we're seeing on, in Barca right now. But obviously, without a number nine that is a fixture, so for example, like Luis Suarez used to be or something like Ibrahimovic would have been at the time, or that someone, you know, maybe coming next year would be, who knows, maybe Haaland comes next year, who knows? Um, you know, it's all, all science fiction because everything depends on numbers and the numbers, as we know, in terms of economy, they're not really that healthy, but whatever. Without that reference up front, then there's going to have to be sort of pseudo false nines falling into the attacking um, center uh, at the end of any occasion, at the end of any run. Uh, normally, there would be Jordi Alba run, so hopefully if he gets better soon and, you know, peaks again, Serginho Desch runs, and that's a, a very open space that Pedri, Messi, Griezmann can fall into. And to be honest, I think that even if Griezmann has average matches for the sort of for the naked eye, obviously, if you analyze what he does, he recovers a lot of balls, he does a lot of runs, he runs not necessarily at defenders, but behind defenders, he generates spaces for others. But this is all sort of the, the dark football, you know, that if you're just watching the ball and wherever the ball goes, you don't really see Griezmann doing much. But what he does always, always adds to the team. Obviously, if it's, a, if it's, if it's 120 million euros worth of impact, probably it isn't. But if he can add one goal every two matches and then end up the season with around 15, 20 goals, I think that's that's job done for him. Well, obviously, he's far from those numbers now, but... You know, with, with the season is nowhere near finished and he seems to be on the right track. So let's continue that. Yeah. And what I like to see from him between, we also see that and the third club in the semifinal to the final is that he played two entirely different roles because Messi came back, obviously, for the final. And I thought he succeeded in both those roles against Real Sociedad. He played as Messi where he dropped deep. He received, he turned on the ball, and he helped with combination plays in buildup. And then against Athletic Club, he didn't really do too much of that. And when the middle of the field was being stormed out by Athletic Club, and they were putting that numerical advantages in there, not allowing Barca to play through the middle, 
that meant that Dembele and Messi were actually the two that dropped a bit deeper, and Griezmann continued to try to play in behind the opposition, and that's how he got his second goal as well. So Griezmann had to play two entirely different roles based on the personnel that were in that starting 11, and he didn't look uncomfortable either. And I think, again, the bar is not for Griezmann to to not look uncomfortable. <laughs> the, the, the bar is for him to score goals and to be a difference maker, as we said. So I, again, I hope that we're on that path where when Messi then, as we know, whether it's next year or the year after, is gone, we're going to still have a few more seasons potentially in Griezmann. So he's going to have to continue to operate and be a star for Barcelona. And I think he's, at this moment, looking like he's on that path. And I don't want to speak too soon. But speaking of another star, Frances, it's time. We don't talk about him a lot because he's either having good form or he doesn't. He's getting yellow cards and complaining. Have you figured out who I'm talking about yet? Well, it's Jordi Alba. Jordi Alba. Jordi oh, Alba. No. As you said, he <laughs> was, he was a, a big a part. He was a big part of those goals. He was also a big he part was. of Athletic Club's goals, right? So you get yes. the good, you get the bad, you get both. And I, I think, is it overblown right now that he's a scapegoat for Barca's royalties? Because he's constantly the worst culprit of what's happening between the years. We've seen, obviously, you saw a documentary with what's happened to him in the past, in the locker room, at halftime. I mean, it just seems like, emotionally, he's the one that is the worst example of breaking down mentally and emotionally and not being able to have that that Puyol, that Xavi, we're going to suck the life out of the opponent. It seems like Jordi Alba does kind of come in and out. That light flickers on and off, depending on where they are in the match and what the scoreline is. And is he just a scapegoat for this, or is there something more here with Jordi Alba? Well, I don't know if he's been the scapegoat or not in terms of social media, because I'm, I haven't yeah, been yeah, part yeah. of it. I literally haven't watched anything at all. I haven't listened to anything. I haven't read anything. So I don't know if he's the scapegoat. What I do know is that he's a pretty good football player, and he's someone who really adds to Barca, especially in attack. The fact that both goals really come from his side, the fact that he's constantly looked for whenever there's an attacking play. Um, Barca, obviously, he's got a fantastic group of, of players. Obviously, has been better in the past, but, you know, he's, he's top, top-notch top players, all internationals. They keep passing the ball to him. The guy must be pretty good. Also, I think his CV speaks for itself. And, uh, you know, he's been very successful and he's been a contributor, not just being part of the team like Douglas, you know, for example, has a treble. That's not the case with Jordi Alba. Uh, he is someone who actually is playing the games. He's a, a key protagonist and he's got basically his name is on the trophy, um, all the trophies that we've won uh, over the last 10 years, obviously, since he joined us. Um, obviously, a little bit older now, but I think that he continues to be incredibly effective. Um, I think that. Everyone is different, you know. We would like every single player to have the mentality of Puyol, the quality of Messi, the vision of Iniesta and the passing of Xavi, but that's not going to be possible ever again. Uh, and then obviously a little bit of um, Dani Alves sprinkled everywhere else as well because yeah. he was just great in every shape, every way, shape or form. And everyone is different. Uh, I think that Jordi Alba in this particular game, yes, he was caught unawares in a couple of positions and that led to two goals. He created two goals. So you take Jordi Alba out of the game, maybe it's a goalless draw, isn't it? Um, I don't want to say, obviously, he's not going to be a Barca for much longer. I think that he's a player that when he's gone, we will miss him. And I, for one, I'm, I'm very grateful for everything he's done for Barca. And I think that there's no better left back in the team right now. I also think that there's no better left back we can afford. Um, I think that there's no one in La Masia who can take over tomorrow. I think, obviously... Um, Alejandro Valdez seems to be, you know, doing his um, his progression. He may eventually be able to take over. 
Uh, you've got Miranda as well, doing very well on loan, but right now you can't replace Jordi Alba because there's no one else. Um, I think that if you had to release Jordi Alba or you had to sell him on or you had to you know, make a change at left back, that was last summer when you released um, Rakitic, Vidal, and obviously in terms of dressing room dynamics, um, Luis Suarez. But the decision was to keep him and he's with us now. He's halfway through the season. Um, nobody's perfect all the time, but I think that he has to be a starting left back because of everything that I just said. Yeah, I want to add and, and expound on a lot of the points you just made about the argument that's, that started about replacing Alba and just how much of a challenge that is, how difficult it is to replace Jordi Alba because the answer was supposed to be Junior Firpo. And, and I don't want to rewrite history that it was supposed to be Ferlin Mendy from Lyon or Junior Firpo, that Barca were going to get one of those two players. They were the two best left backs uh, now uh, over a year ago, year and a half ago in the transfer window. So at the time, I'm not going to rewrite history that I Ferland Mendy was choice number one. He goes to Real Madrid first, and they spend a little bit more. And then Junior Firpo comes from Real Betis, and I thought that was a fine backup. He was good for Real Betis. He was a promising young yep. player, 22 at the time. So he was supposed to be the answer. And he's never gotten consistent game time or impressed through his limited appearances. He seems to be, even when he was without Red, uh, at Real Betis, when he broke into the first team, played 43 appearances for them in about a year and a half for Real Betis. And when he did get actual game time, game in and game out, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, that's when you really saw his best. He's never had that time at Barca, so he really could just be a form player. Those, those exist, guys that if they're not playing, they kind of fall out of it, and they can't really make an impact in limited appearances. He's only made 33 appearances for Barca in a year and a half, but a lot of those appearances even are coming in one minute, four minutes, eight minutes. So it's not like he's racking up the minutes either. Now, the argument that is currently being had is how to replace Alba, as we said, and the first time I thought about this, it's so much more complicated than that, but yet maybe also the solution is that it's a little more simpler than expected as well. And what I mean by that is the first candidate that you already brought up, Alejandro Balde, who I've mentioned many times, I've covered on the YouTube channel and on our La Masia shows. Uh, he has showed since he was 14, 15 years old that he is probably the most promising left back that Barcelona has had, uh, more so even than Juan Miranda, that they have had in a quite, quite, quite some time. Because even Jordi Alba, remember, went to Valencia, became a professional, and then came back to Barcelona. So when you're talking about left backs, this is the kid, this is the kid to circle. But, you know, the rumors for him to get promoted in junior, if, if junior was sold in January, rather, uh, were, were just that. They were rumors. I'm still very high on the 17-year-old as a pro and potentially as a future Barca first teamer due to being a left back. It's a lot easier to break in at a position of need than it is to break in as a midfielder. So every La Masia midfielder, you go, I don't know. He's got a lot of competition. But for a left back, you go, okay, you just kind of have to break in. And it's a position that if you can fill the backup with an academy product, you do it because you always can spend money elsewhere at goal scoring positions or positions with say of higher need. So I think of Martin Montoya, right? He was a player that was he ever a starter over Danny Alves? Obviously not, never going to be. But Barca were able to save money in that era by having an academy product be the backup as a as a professional. He was just a professional player, was Montoya. But Balde at this moment isn't even playing over Jose Marsa. Who is Jose Marsa? Well, he is the captain of Juvenil A as a center back, and he was promoted to Barca B to play as their left back. So until Alejandro Valde can at least be better than the other the other Juvenil A player playing for Barca B, well, then we're going to have to see. So he's just not there yet, and give him a preseason or maybe even sometime making his debut throughout next year. The other option is outside the club, obviously, as we said, and Barcelona, as far as money, missed that window. you got to put all your funds in getting a number nine more than you do a left back. But And this is no club, uh, and the club being in no position to pay top dollar for a premium left back. But I also ask, 
Who are the best left backs in the world right now? Robertson from Liverpool. Unfortunately, Grimaldo from Benfica, and obviously people get upset about that, but he is one of the best in the world. And honestly, looking around world football, Lucas Dinier has been a top five left back for Everton this season. And then who are you starting to mention? Jordi Alba. He's still up there. So left back is not a position in the world that it has had all these uh, elite players because obviously every good player has moved to the center of the field. As Cruyff and Guardiola say, if they've got that much quality, put them in a position that truly, truly impacts the game even more so than the wingback positions. The final point I want to make here is another top left back in the world is Alfano Davies. And I'd love to use him to blow up every other argument about this, about how we talk about these left back transfers. Because again, there isn't just to think that Barcelona can't possibly get a left back or can't possibly replace Alba because it's so difficult. You have to pay top dollar for a, 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 again, Grimaldo or or, or Lucas Digne. How funny would that be? But the things I want to say about Davies, there's three points here. One, and this is the unnecessary one. He, I want to mention, he came from MLS. And as you'll be seeing in the very near future, people are going to need to put some respect on that league's name as a top selling league, not as a top league in terms of quality itself on the pitch, but in finally uh, being the business of exporting future stars. So I just want to say that uh, if you see that a player comes from Liga MX or from MLS as a young, young player, they could have high potential. But yes, if you're getting a 30-year-old from MLS, okay, obviously. (laughs) Number two here, again, that point was kind of useless, but number two, Davies arrived at Bayern as a winger and was converted to the position of left back. I have floated Carlos Alenia, who is left-footed, as an option, but he is going to be a midfielder. And then there was a wave of Conrad De La Fuente should really be, uh, th- there was support about him being moved back there. But as I've said with him, he let him break into the first team first, and he isn't consistent enough as a winger, his natural position, to try to learn a new position to try to debut the first team. So I- I'm a little out on that uh, for the near future. But then finally, uh, Davies does prove this notion that players can't come into big clubs and earn the spot. That, that's really the point here, that you think that, oh, you have to, how can you be a Champions League winning left back until you win the Champions League? You can't get that top, top caliber player because at that position at left back, you kind of have to make it. He has to make it his own. So Pedri earns a spot in the midfield without replacing one player per se. But Davies came into that, that Bayern Munich dressing room and said, that left back position is mine. And you hope that someone can do the same thing to Jordi Alba. If he is as mentally weak as, you know, people on the internet might say, well, then a player is going to come in and say, I've got the confidence to take that position from Jordi Alba. And that competition is a good thing. And so you just need a player to do that, to say, this is my position and just take it outright. So there's a lot of different ways that Jordi Alba can be replaced. But as far as going out in the market and having to spend top dollar for a left back, I don't know how that happens because that doesn't, that isn't what happens with that position. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I was thinking that maybe in a year or two years time, we can go for Gaia from Valencia if the fans are there. But other than that, no, I've got nothing much to add. I, I agree with you. Yeah, and even him, he's 27. And uh, if you're Valencia, yeah. they don't have many, many other people to sell. So <laughs> they're going to have mm-hmm. to make sure they get something for him. So we're going to exactly. end... That's how, that's how hard it is. Well, we're going to end this by talking about the some of the people that are going to have to make those future decisions about how to replace Alba. And that is the next president of Barcelona. Now, unfortunately, this is, I think of all the bad news we've been talking about, this might be the worst news, that the election was moved to March 7th at the earliest. The little positive silver lining here is that mail-in voting was proved, it looks like. So apparently, this is, again, the unfortunate part of that, it could take as long as a month to get all that mail-in voting squared away. And there are only three candidates, though, so the socios voting only have to choose between Juan Laporta, Victor Font, and Tony Frescia. So we did dive deep on this presidential stuff in weeks past. We just want to give a quick update here. I know that Carlos Tusquets is being thrown under because his job 
was just to get the elections on as fast as possible. And he failed that job. He didn't do that. So now he's fighting up against the resurgence. And certainly you have to say that like this didn't happen. And it was particularly this didn't happen. It's not too sketch's fault that the wave that another wave of of COVID-19 was ratcheted up to 11 and people are dying and things are looking ugly again in Spain, lockdowns and all those things. So uh, we knew that the winter would be tough. We knew that it would be difficult with this pandemic and the 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 uh, epidemiological. Oh, there we go. How about that one? <laughs> so we, you get you get my point. So the situation is so bad that the Catalan government has stepped in and said that they cannot safely have polling stations to do this. So this was not on two skets to push this back. This isn't whether Laporta or Font. Uh, Laporta has said that he hoped that they had gone through. Font said that he hoped that they had been delayed a bit. And you could say this is about politics, that Fresh and Font need more time because they know they're going to lose to Laporta if it was going to happen next week. But I think that's a little bit callous. That's a little bit too much. It just comes down to it being unsafe for, as we've talked about before, the age of a socio is a still high risk age group for COVID. So you cannot take yep. risk with these people. And so as much as we think that FC Barcelona is the most important thing in the world and it's worth risking people over, at the end of the day, it is still a footballing organization. It is still just a football club. And so you have to value people's lives over the football club. That said, Dusquets, by not having it in December and finding a way to get this accelerated as fast as possible, well, I think the sins were already in the past and not so much this time. Yep. Um, I think that the most important thing is that people have to be safe. Um, as you said, uh, the average age of a socio is normally over 60 from the 60 to 80 window. And uh, any election, what the club should be looking for is to have the vast majority of, uh, of socios taking part in it. If they had kept it where it was, uh, which, by the way, that Generalitat de Catalunya, which is the national Catalan government, didn't allow it anyway. But even if they had had the approval for the government, the club, I think, should have looked towards moving it back because there wouldn't be the participation just wouldn't be there. Obviously, um, I think that Carlos Tusquets seems to have enjoyed having his name as, you know, the, the main reference for Barca uh, far too much. Uh, he should have called the election, I would say, early December. I think that, you know, this is a Barca podcast, not a COVID podcast, but I think it's quite obvious that after all the Christmas holidays and gatherings, uh, that it doesn't matter how strong the government said, no, you shouldn't be meeting, etc. It was obvious everyone was going to be, or that a lot of people were going to be meeting the relatives, um, obviously, not having a rave party about it, but you know, having a close relatives party. Well, princess, um, let me let me ask you about Carlos, was... let me ask you about Carlos Tuscato. Have you heard on Catalan Radio one compliment for him though? As much as like he he might enjoy the power, where is his legacy? What what is I mean, his legacy is going to be nothing but negative because he was unable to do the one job he was asked to do. So I, I mean, have you heard a single thing positive on Catalan Radio? No, nothing, nothing positive about him. But if you think about it. Um, and I think it's probably harder to see from an international perspective. But Catalonia is not really that large. Um, yeah. it's, it's Barcelona and it's Lleida, Tarragona and Girona. So it's four regions get together into Catalonia, right? Um, but being linked to Barca in whatever way gives you a lot of prestige sort of to your name that stays with you forever. Granted, Carlos Tusquets is no spring chicken. You know, the guy is quite old. So yeah. it's, it's already worked for Barca for many years. But always as a as a like a treasurer 
or being part of different directivas here, there, and everywhere. Um, so in a way, you can argue that his, his, his legacy is already cemented, but he's never yeah. really been referred to as the top dog. Uh, why do you think there's nine candidates going for the Barca presidency? Why do you think Agustavi Benedito seems to do it every single year and never really gets anywhere? Uh, why do you think that, you know, like Rousseau was going for it? People like um, Jordi Farré, like there's so many people going for it. Why? Because... The most important thing in Catalonia um, is, is obviously the people of Catalonia, but the most important brand in Catalonia is FC Barcelona. And everyone that is Catalan wants to be linked to it. And uh, I think that Carlos Tusquets really just milked it a little bit too far. And he should have put the interests of the club ahead of his own and just call the election earlier. I think that it was perfectly possible to have the election in the first or second week of December. Um, it was always clear that the cases were unfortunately going to spike um, after the winter break, and he should have seen this coming. So um, I've got no apologies. Obviously, I do agree with the, the vote being postponed now, now that we're in this situation, uh, but I don't really know how two weeks is going to make a huge difference, to be honest. So I wouldn't count my chickens to say that 7th of March, or sorry, 7th of February is still going to be a possible date. It may not be. Yeah, it should continue to be pushed back. And this is, as I said, yeah. this is the club getting burnt for sins of the past. And I was thinking about this too, that it really is a shame that Font and Laporta aren't a combined platform. Honestly, Laporta's, his greatest selling point, as we discussed, is his understanding of being Barca president in a time when the club desperately needs a Barca president. That's what's making him the favorite. But for Font, and people always keep rolling your eyes about his plan, but he has had great global Pena outreach. He's, his ideas about the, I mean, continuing and furthering this democracy with updated electronic capabilities and the like, Font is very much looking to continue to move the club forward. And I would love if those two ideas were meshed together and merged together where you had that institutional knowledge of Laporta with some of the ideas that you can't just, I mean, the future is always scary. Change is always scary for people. And uh, as you can see with, as we talk about the socios who tend to be a bit more on the conservative side because they have seen it all and have been around for a long time. They don't really go for change. That's what happens. And I read, there was this older lady that I grew up with at my church, and she would always say, if the future wants change so bad, then it'll happen then. Really nice lady, but getting her to understand the internet was, was not going to happen. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I was just trying to get help with the church emails, and she was like, this is, no, no, nope, don't want to do this. And I mean, again, sweetest lady, but she refused to change in that way. And so I, I think it's, you know, to, to say that there doesn't need to be 21st century things working around the club is naive. You can't just go back to 2003, which is an extension of the 20th century in the late 90s, right? That's where Laporta got his ideas. He's not a young man either. So not the font is, once again, but his ideas seem to be a bit more progressive in that way. Mm -hmm. So progress with that. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the key point for me is uh, I'm trying to put myself in the in the mind of the socios, right? Yeah. Um, with Laporta, you know what you get and uh, you get the fact that we were successful um, obviously with a different coach that granted he brought in himself but a crop of players that were either just starting a first team level or coming through La Masia that, that basically changed the club the economy of the club was far different and uh, you could go and spend 100 million euros for Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, you could get Dani Alves from Sevilla for 40 million etc 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 Abidal from um, I think it was um, Girondins Bordeaux from a French team so Barca were very powerful in that way. Barca are a completely different club. The situation is very, very different. But I still think Laporta will win the election based on the fact that he was successful before. Then, the key for what you said about the partnership is going to come, I think, entirely to Victor Fon. I think that Laporta will be happy to share 
uh, or to have Victor Fon as a vice president. Uh, but I think that then Victor Fon and the huge amount of people behind him, because he's he's made a great structure behind him, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, we still don't really know what the structure for Laporta actually is. But the thing is, he's so charismatic and so well-known that I don't think most sources would, would care. Well, and if you're going to win, you don't need to show your plan. That's the whole point. Exactly. People will exactly. see his plan when he wins. So Yeah, so with Laporta, so the least he says, the better, really. And he yeah. knows this. Everyone knows that. So um, for Laporta who have, um, to have Fond as a vice president, I think would make a lot of sense. If Victor Fond is happy to be vice president to eventually become president, that could be a way in. But I've got a feeling, um, and I, well, you know, this delay is not great, but it's going to let us hear Fond and Frasia. Obviously, I don't think Frasia has a, cho- a choice or a chance, to be honest. Yeah. But he's going to give Fond more time to explain his, um, his plan forward and to, to make himself even more known. Um, but I think that Fond will be the one deciding whether he wants to jump into if Laporta wins, uh, which I think is quite certain that he will, uh, based on everything that we're listening and hearing from the Catalan media, not in the internet, but from Catalonia, and um, whether he wants to go with Laporta now or he just wants to buy his time and be the one that lost the election and but got really close to winning when Laporta was there. So then when Laporta comes out, he would already be more known than he is today. And he can go as president himself. Uh, it would, I think it would be coming down to him. Yeah, and I think uh, Laporta and Font, uh, it's it would be it be it's, it's unexpected that they would at any juncture, regardless of who won, that they would join forces. Uh, plans usually just don't work. You bring your own people in, and you that's why you're the president. So I don't think Laporta would be too too confident in bringing on someone like Font who has such big ideas and has his own uh, ethos at this point as well. So I, I wouldn't look forward to that. But as I said, I would hope some of the ideas of, of progress that Font has brought forward, because the other thing that we're doing and uh, we're talking about this, it's, it's always interesting to me, again, you being uh, a Catalan and then me being the, well, the the international voice here, that I understand, especially from the socios perspective, the fear of letting, opening the the, the doors up will say to everybody else to be a part of this club and to and to have ownership or I mean it's we know how difficult it is the waiting list we know how hard it is to be a socio so if you're a socio you don't want to make it easier to be a socio it's an exclusive club for a reason and that's why it, it's interesting to me that font where he'll tweet in English or he'll put his message out there in English as well Laporta doesn't do that he Spanish doesn't radio he right exactly he's going only after the Catalans who vote the ones who own yep. the club, the socios in that way. So my, uh, it just, I would hope that, I, I think there is definitely somewhere in the middle there as, as progress moves forward. I wish Laporta, you don't need to allow, you don't need to make it easier to be a socio. You don't need to open up the 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 the, the, the club to more people to to be to become socio. And by club, I, I meant in both like a, a <laughs> how do I say this, as opposed to a a, a coveted ground of, of people. You know, it's, it's a select group of people who are allowed to be socios who are allowed to call Barcelona their own. And so I understand them not wanting to open that up to, to the masses. But I, I think it's going to help Laporta as this club continues to be a global brand to at least speak the words, at least make it seem like, as, at least convince the Peñas around the world that you're a part of it. That for me, I mean, I again, this is me speaking just personally. I would love it that if I lived here in the U.S., but I have given so many hours of my life. Um, now, this is very existential being on the FC Bar- the Barcelona podcast, but I've given so many hours of my life to this club. I-, I would love it if this club would welcome me and say, hey, you know, you've done this X, Y, Z, not because you have a podcast, but just, I mean, you care about this club in this way. And if I can meet the threshold to be a socio, then it would be great. 
And so I would love that those who are truly dedicated to the club, because yes, you don't want some 18-year-old that shows up when Barcelona win the Champions League becoming a socio in a month. That's not what, just because his parents have, or her parents have money. That's not what you want, right? You don't just want people who can buy their way into the club. They have to have a dedication to the club. So, I, I mean, the parameters are there now, and I just hope that if, and we're almost to a point where we say when Laporta is, uh, becomes president again, that he continues to have outreach for the global brand that Barcelona is. Because that's why, um, I mean, whether we want to believe it or not, English is the, the you know, the, the biggest language in the world. The most global language is English. And so the Premier League teams already had a leg up because their content began in English. And because of the broadcasting rights we talked about last week, they also had a leg up in being able to get their message out with, uh, I mean, with the, the biggest and most expensive broadcasting package. So that has helped the Premier League a ton. And so it would behoove Laporta to make sure that he does his homework to continue to move the club into this into progress and to get an understanding that yes the Catalans the socios Barcelona FC Barcelona is a Catalan club when when Barcelona are in 18th place and if they ever got relegated then you're right so many of those fair weather fans around the world they're going to be gone and the only ones left are going to be the socios in Catalonia they're going to be the only ones who are left with the club that they are with no matter where they are in the first division in the third division wherever it may be fc barcelona is their club so yes all those others are going to be gone but they will still be there and i think there has to be a way that laporta continues to try to bridge that gap between what it looks like with electronic voting and what it looks like with uh, having a a global brand and a global club but continuing to have it be owned and loved and forever i, I have no way to end this statement but uh to, to always be connected to the ones that have been there from the beginning since 1899. Yeah, I've got nothing much to add, Dan. You, you, you've explained everything. I think that uh, the Saucis are the owners of the club. Anything that the club may or may not change is always run by the Saucis in the Assemblea. Um, if you are a Saucy, you can attend that and you've got a right to vote. If you're not a Saucy, then uh, the club has put, in my opinion, very difficult hurdles. I think that the, the, the biggest one is having to go to Barcelona every single year to sign, uh, whether you are yeah. uh, sort of full-blown socio or not. Um, so, you know, flying from the U.S. seven years in a row to sign a bit of paper so that you can eventually become a socio and then you still, you know, you can't really go to games because you live in New York City. Right. Um, it's very, very tricky. But at the same time, I think that it does protect from, you know, some petrol dollars coming yeah, from right. God knows where and uh, the club not being fully owned by the people who, are closest to it in a way. But then again, as you sort of mentioned, distance is relative in this time, in this time, day and age. Um, so the fact that you're from Sabadell doesn't mean that you love Barca more than the guy that was born in Australia. Right. Um, I think that those barriers are becoming closer and closer and they're being more, more broken as, as we go by. But obviously anything at Barca has to be run by the sources. And Joan Laporta is someone who is has a really, really... I mean, he was a politician. I don't know if many people in the podcast know this. At the moment that he stopped being a Barca president, he became a politician, a, you know, hardcore pro-independent politician that uh, ran for elections, didn't win, but ran for elections. So, you know, he's going to do everything he can to be truthful to his ideas, which is um, Catalonia first, basically Catalonia first, Catalonia free. But, you know, I think progress is progress and that's something that the sources will have to decide themselves. 
Yeah, the final point I want to offer up, and maybe in future weeks I'll do this a little bit more, but I do want to offer up a lot of our listeners, especially those, uh, we we have very few actually in Catalonia. Uh, Obviously, they're busy listening to to Cat Radio and and some of the sources there. So (laughs) I would actually recommend that a lot of people do read up on because with Bartomeu and, and and Roselle, the club did kind of get away from a bit of what we call its Catalan identity. And of course, with what was happening with pol- the politics of Catalan independence, and, and we've discussed this on the show in the past briefly, you know, not taking any sides here, but with with those kind of arguments and with what politics are in, in Catalonia, it's actually, uh, it's useful, I think, for for people to once again do their homework, do a little bit of reading and understand that once again, when you when you get to know the socios, that status and if you ever go there and you go to the places of uh, that Gaudi designed and back in the day, whether it was the politicians, the business people back who commissioned Gaudi to work on a lot of the architecture that he did, a lot of private homes, not just mm-hmm. the Sagrada Familia, but a lot of private homes and a lot of the architecture, a lot of the neighborhoods in Barcelona where uh, PK grew up as well. Uh, those, are, those are elite places in Catalonia and status is so important in the, especially the city of Barcelona. It's status and it is important, not just wealth, but status and where you fit in, in that hierarchy, in that landscape. And it's important to at the elite level, at least to, to a little bit of that Catalan identity. So I think people should read about that, read about uh, the culture and just get to know the Catalan side of FC Barcelona, because we know the footballing side, we know all that, but actually get to know why this club was what it was and why Juan Samper, I mean, uh, why Juan Gamper committed suicide. There, there are things that, that are based on the history of Catalonia that are so important. I mean, the, the, the time in the Spanish Civil War, and there's a lot back there. So I, I know people are bummed about the, the Supercopa. So maybe just uh, get lost in a book. I, I don't know. That's my final thing. But uh, at least, as I said at the beginning, we want to thank everyone, though, for always downloading our show and putting us in your ears. And hopefully we continue to educate and help out and continue to talk about your favorite club. So thanks again for joining me, Frances. I'll say to you first. And thanks for being with me. You weren't here for all one million downloads, but uh, you were here for quite, quite, quite a lot of them. No, but the thing is you have. Yeah, so every minute. You're the better yep. half here. So the fact that you've had... You've been there from day one, editing, cutting me out every time I make a mistake, you know, which is very, very often. Uh, listeners don't really know this, but yeah, the, the podcast takes three hours to record to make a 40-minute session. <laughs> well, but uh, yeah, you've been there from the beginning. You've been fantastic. I think uh, if the podcast is still alive, it's down to you. Um, I'm happy that I kick-started for like a year and a half and that I've been back for, I don't know, about a year now. Uh, but if the podcast is is what it is, it's down to you, so Congratulations on a million downloads and job well done. And hopefully we get another 2 million, 3 million, 4 million going well, forward. I, listen, I'll get, listen, I will, uh, I'll get the last word in here. So I'm not going to let you respond here. And I'm going to raise the stakes here. I know that I'm the one obviously who keeps the stats. So uh, we'll get to 2 million when I say we get to 2 million based on my numbers. <laughs> That's true. But, but, but I'm an honest man, as people know here. I, I cannot lie. I do not lie. So when we get to 2 million, if we get to 2 million, and when we do, I should say, I will have Frances will host the show. I will be involved. Obviously, I will record him, but we'll figure out another guest, and Frances will be our host. And so you get a you get one Frances show. I will, for those who may get annoyed with my voice over 200, 2 million downloads, I'll sit one out. So if we get to two million, it'll be Frances. We'll bring somebody else on for him to talk to, and you guys can look forward to that. So if you yep. really want to hear Frances host the Barcelona exactly. podcast, make sure yep. you I'm- leave us a rating, like, uh, share it with people. Just get it in as many years as possible, so you can get Frances. Yeah, and the, that podcast will be three minutes long. <laughs> three minutes. That's it. 
That's all you get. Well, it's a celebration of two million when we get there, but we're still a ways off, so we still got some work to do. And so we thank our listeners for being with us on the whole journey. You can find us on social media, as you know, on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Helping D13. For me on Instagram, we're doing a little bit more on Instagram. Again, I, I was able to put some in backlog, so there's some fun stuff going on, on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group, as you know, that's where we get La Ronda, good discussions, tvpod.link backslash group. And then Patreon, that's where I put out the quick take match reviews that are also on YouTube with a little bit of video, but you get them first on Patreon before they get out on YouTube. It takes a lot longer for that. So that's tvpod.link backslash Patreon. And we're on YouTube, as I mentioned, the Barcelona Podcast. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast from episode one until episode 237. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barca. Barca. Barca.